This is a fresh agenda, bringing your productivity and creativity together to generate your deepest work. Here is Christina Mendonca. Hi, everyone. This is a fresh agenda where we chat with innovators, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders. I'm Christina Mendonca. Welcome to this little spot in the digital universe. Glad to have you here for a little while. We're talking today about dynamic learning and why it's so important to our personal and professional success. Now, we've all heard that lifelong learning is important, but I was shocked to hear this. 42% of college graduates never read another book after college. And with information readily available with a quick Google search, I guess, why would we invest so many hours into learning when information is a commodity, right? You can look up whatever you need or ask Alexa. Well, our guest today is going to talk about that. His name is Brad Stotts. Brad is a professor at University of North Carolina. He got his doctorate at Harvard Business School, published award-winning articles in the Harvard Business Review and Wall Street Journal, was named among the 40 best business professors under 40, but... He also spent time in the business world. He was a venture capitalist. He did investment banking at Goldman Sachs, and he was in strategic planning for Dell Corporation. So he has a very balanced background in business and academia. His book is called Never Stop Learning, Stay Relevant, Reinvent Yourself, and Thrive. Now, I'm all about reinvention. I've been working on that for more than a year. And I have to say, personally, I love learning new things. I read a lot. I love listening to podcasts. I love talking to people who can teach me things, which is one of the fun things about this podcast. Well, Brad is going to lay out some very well-structured keys to dynamic learning, as well as reasons for why it's important, even in this age of instant information. But first, if you want instant satisfaction in the form of awesome aerial video or photography, let me tell you about New Age Aerial. They provide more than a bird's eye view. They capture beautiful vistas, breathtaking overviews, and an understanding of how things look from above. From film to commercial photography and video, the drone team at New Age Aerial can get you what you need for a fraction of the cost of hiring a pilot and plane. They are experienced flyers. Government agencies trust them during big crises. They can set up drones with guided monitoring from an engineer on the ground to get exactly the photos and video needed to fix big problems. And not only do they have the tech skills, they're artists getting those unforgettable and scenic shots that open movies, show off that piece of property, or thrill at the beginning of large business presentations. I'm thrilled to have them as sponsor of this show because they are innovators of drone technology and use. New Age Aerial, check them out online at newageaerial.com. Mention the promo code FRESHAGENDA and they'll take great care of you. All right, let's have our conversation now with Brad Stotts. Brad, thank you so much for being with us today. Absolutely. Excited to have a chance to chat with you. All right. Well, I did introduce you before we connected, so we know a little bit about your background. But what I find interesting is that you're equally balanced in the academic world and the business world, having worked in both. So what have you observed that the academic world could learn from business and vice versa? I think the um, I'll start with what business can learn from academia, which is a chance to dig deeper into some topics, a chance to um, kind of focus more on the questions than on the answers. Uh, as uh, obviously you know, kind of in the, the jobs I had in investment banking, strategic planning, venture capital, um, kind of there's a focus on constant doing. I think on the academic side, you know, one of the, the big elements 
is is just speed. Um, that uh, that's the trade-off, right? Um, you take the time to ask questions, you dig in, uh, and kind of leave things um, you know, open a little bit. But sometimes, you know, it, it moves at too slow of a pace, and so there's a need to to keep it going. Um, the other element is this constant back and forth between both, uh, between the the applied and the the little bit kind of more general knowledge creation. Um, and that's why personally, I loved being in both, um, and still now that I'm an academic, spending lots of time with practice because I think the synergies between the two are fantastic. Well, being a member of the choir that you're preaching to with your book, (laughs) um, I also believe in lifelong learning, but let's talk a little bit about why and about the rise of the, the learning economy and why is it important? Because information is everywhere and easily accessible. I think it was Dan Pink that said a 14-year-old in a third world country has the same access to the information that an MIT professor has in the most obscure books in the university <laughs> library. So why, when information is like a fire hose coming at us, do we need to pay attention to being dynamic yeah, learners? So I think it's an appreciation of all. We certainly live in a world uh, where information is you know, more readily at our fingertips than ever before. Um, often that's the problem. Just because we have information doesn't mean we have insight. Uh, and so as I look at uh, you know, kind of where we stand today, um, you know, I think I, along with others, would suggest it's very much not just a knowledge economy, what you know right now, but rather a learning one. Uh, and so when we think about a learning economy, and we can look at a handful of drivers of that. You know, why is it that change is so pervasive, you know, that we can you know, plausibly say the only constant is change. And if that's the case, then our knowledge has to change with it, which right, that's fundamentally learning. Um, you know, identify a handful of different um, elements. I mean, I think we can think about kind of a long trend of routinization uh, that just, you know, at least since the time, you know, uh, of, uh, of folks starting to settle into to cities and, and building up uh, kind of processes, the industrial revolutions are a great example. You know, we've seen, you know, we come up with, you know, repetitive ways to do things, and that lets us improve our productivity. If we look at job growth, in the United States over the last few decades, you know, it's really been a story of the non-routine jobs because on the routine side, we keep you know, finding ways to automate those uh, to, uh, to replace them. Um, that we can think about things like specialization, that because the knowledge is so vast, you know, we really need to pick an, an individual piece to dig deep into. It's estimated a doctor would have to spend 27 hours a day uh, reading in order to stay up on, on modern medicine, and you know, clearly there's a problem there with only 24. So we end up picking little pieces um, of the puzzle, uh, but that means eventually we have to integrate it. And so we have to learn not only skills, we have to learn how to work well with others. Um, you know, a couple of others I think that are important. One is just globalization that you, you were just highlighting, you know, that uh, you know, we are um, have a chance to interact with folks around the world, which is great, but we're also competing with them, both as organizations and um, individually. Um, the last piece I'd, I'd highlight is around digitization. Uh, and so they're really the fact that you know, we can convert things into bytes and bits means both that we can send it around the world so work can be done, uh, but it also means we can convert it into data. And so we have things like the rise of you know, artificial intelligence uh, with more data at our fingertips. Uh, and so again, you know, I think that as individuals, we should see that somewhat exciting, um, that there's a chance for us to interact with you know, things like AI uh, and create ever new things, uh, but we have to be learning as we change. And so you know, I, I think this shift has been underway for a while, uh, but it's just very, I think, out in front of us now. And it's led folks like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella 
um, to, to make this point that at the end of the day, the learn it all is going to outperform the know it all. And so we have to make sure that we are, in fact, dynamic learners. As a professor, you see hundreds of students that are coming through uh, your courses each year. Where is the gap? Are, have, has the way we've learned, we learn changed and has it uh, declined in recent years? Yeah, it's an interesting question. It's funny. Yesterday, uh, I was giving a talk um, at, uh, at a military base and I got kind of a long question about um, you know, millennials and kind of the challenge that come with millennials and, uh, and learning. And, you know, I, I think uh, the answer I give then and, and the one I give now is, I mean, I'm, I'm an optimist when it comes to learning. I actually don't um, think that, you know, there are fundamental learning um, problems between generations of this one learns better than that one. Um, I certainly think there are differences, and one can see in the research, of, of how um, you know, different age groups interact with things. Um, and so I think the pluses in that youngest generation, because I teach primarily grad school students, but interact certainly with the under undergrads. Um, and so kind of different age groups there, right? And the 18 to 22 on the undergrads, and then kind of anywhere from you know, mid to late 20s and, and beyond for uh, master students or, or certainly for executives uh, being a lot older. I think the young, the, the undergrad, you know, what we see um, is a comfort with technology, right? A comfort in going out um, and searching for answers that, you know, Googling something has been a part of their vernacular, you know, forever, unlike, you know, some of us who are older who, uh, you know, were introduced to the internet and, and had to, you know, discover that as an option. So I think that piece of their learning is exciting in that there, you know, sometimes there's a willingness to go out uh, and draw on these resources. I think the other challenge is though, or, or a challenge is because they have all of these devices, uh, all of these different signals coming in, you know, the, dis the risk of distractions is high. And that, you know, unfortunately, across ages, we tend to underestimate the negative impact of those distractions. Uh, and we don't necessarily appreciate that um, they're likely to uh, be more problematic uh, for our learning or even our productivity uh, than we think. Uh, so I, I think, you know, part of successful learning is incorporating all of those new approaches, uh, but doing it in a way that, uh, you know, like I mean, we can think about a phone. A phone can be a great way to access data, but it also can be a lousy way to syntax and so it would pull your attention from, uh, you know, the important uh, and instead focus on the urgent. You mostly teach, as you said, graduate students and, and have had some undergrads as well. Uh, so those folks are there to learn. They're paying quite a bit of money to learn. Uh, but I was so shocked to read that 42 percent of college graduates never read another book after college. And that has got to be just the death knell for tried, trying to reinvent yourself in your professional life. Yeah, I mean, so I, I have not seen that statistic. Um, that is a frightening one. I mean, I, I think uh, I certainly, you know, as I look at what lifelong learning means, um, it's looking to lots of different sources for knowledge. Uh, and so some amount of that is, is you know, just interacting and doing your job uh, and things like the internet, of course. Uh, but books, uh, I say not only as an author, but uh, kind of more generally, are a great way for us to really engage. Um, now, I mean, I think, look, there are changes. And so back to your learning uh, kind of point, we have to recognize that, you know, folks, um, you know, younger folks are, are used to, to interacting in more rapid fire ways. And so that doesn't mean you know, that we can limit ourselves to only uh, books. Um, but I think that if, if someone is in that camp, um, they are definitely selling themselves short. Um, and, you know, as great as all the other sources of knowledge are, um, you know, books are uh, a hugely important one.
Okay, so having established the fact that the learning economy is important, we need to be engaged in it. And uh, because of these drivers of the learning economy, let's talk about, um, you have eight qualities of a dynamic learner. So let's kind of run through those briefly and then maybe dive deep into a couple of sure them. yeah so uh, you know i you know, have spent the last you know many years trying to to make sense of learning and trying to make sense of you know what are the processes we need to follow uh, but importantly what are the behaviors that limit our ability to do so um, but even when we know what we should do we don't um, and so that's that interaction between basically process the operation side of, of what i do and behavioral science the psychology of it all um, and so through that study it's really eight things that, that I found are key to being a dynamic learner. Um, the first is around failure. Um, how can we uh, use failure uh, rather than uh, being obsessed uh, and thinking that success in the short term is the only way to get things done? Uh, the second is around process focus, uh, that most of the time, uh, instead of focusing on the process, we focus on just the outcome. And so then we miss important signals uh, that limit our ability to learn. And third is that uh, learning really requires asking questions, not just jumping quickly to conclusions, constantly doing, uh, but taking time to step back and, and ask. Fourth um, is around uh, reflection. The, the learning um, means we can't always be on, we can't be constantly active, but we need to take time to recharge. We need to take time to reflect, making sure we stop and we think. Um, fifth um, is, you know, all too often we think we need to act like others, uh, particularly in organizational contexts. And instead, you know, how can we make sure uh, that, uh, you know, we, uh, we are ourselves, we act like ourselves, we be ourselves in order to learn. Um, next is uh, thinking about how we use our strengths. Unfortunately, in learning, we often fixate on the weakness. What's the, uh, you know, the thing that we don't do well yet? Um, and we need to look where there are critical weaknesses that need attention, uh, but many other things don't. And instead, if we'd focus on those strengths and really build them up, we can accomplish even more um, in our learning and beyond. Um, seventh is thinking about the types of experience that we gather, uh, that it's not just a matter of focusing on one thing. It's not a matter of doing lots and lots of different things, uh, but rather instead of treating it either or, treating it as an and. How do we build T-shaped experiences where the vertical part of the T is getting deep in certain areas, the horizontal part is providing breadth. The final piece uh, that I talk about is around learning from others, that while individual learning certainly is a whole lot about the individual, it's not only about the individual, um, that we also need to consider the important role that other people play, um, not only in you know, the knowledge that they have, but how we can interact with them to learn more, how we can teach them to learn more. And so kind of the argument I want to make is that with those eight elements, um, each of them important in their own right, but as a system, putting them together, are likely to help us learn and be more successful in, in this uh, learning economy that we live in. Fantastic. Fantastic. So valuable, each one of those. Uh, but if we can talk about a couple yep. of them, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about focusing on the process. Sure. And it kind of it kind of goes hand in hand with the first yep. one because none of us like to fail. <laughs> it's not a great nope. feeling, but we do actually learn so much when we do. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so, um, you know, I think that uh, anybody who's a, a National Basketball Association fan, an NBA fan these days, uh, can't, uh, can't help but have heard the phrase, trust the process, uh, describing the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, and I think what's so great about that getting broadcast and shared um, is you know calling attention to this point um, that's getting at 
you know, hey, if, if all we do is obsess about was the outcome right, was the outcome wrong, um, then, you know, we live in complicated environments. This isn't that, you know, we're simply doing two plus two uh, and, you know, we got three. And so, you know, kind of that's trivial. We fix it and we're done. Uh, but rather, there are lots of pieces that are interconnected. Uh, and so we have to understand, you know, a couple of things. One is your point there about failure that, you know, things are going to go wrong sometimes. It's not fun. Uh, but we have to look at that not as, you know, the, that things have, have fundamentally you know, gone wrong, but rather if we try something new, you know, that that's just a part. Mistakes are a part of the process uh, that get us to where we're going in the long run. The other element, you know, that, that I really think is important on this process outcome piece um, is all too often we think, hey, if we get a good outcome, it means we did everything right. If we get a bad outcome, it means we did, you know, everything wrong. And so we start to change. Um, and, you know, that misses this point of the complexity uh, of the variability uh, that's out there that we need to, to think about. And so, you know, it's, it's really important for us in whatever our role is to think about how do we get from A to B, right, to, to be a little bit academic-ish. You know, thinking about the model that sits in between, um, and it's not that we're going to go out and I'm telling everybody to go do math, uh, but rather, you know, what are the connections that get you to a successful sale? What are the connections um, that uh, allow you to design a new product? Um, and as you start to get an idea around that, um, then that's really where the learning is taking place. And so the fact that you realize, hey, you've taken all these right steps. At the end of the day, the person didn't buy. Sometimes they're just not going to, right? Sometimes you actually really did just give your best presentation yet. Um, and the fact that it didn't work doesn't mean scrap the presentation. Um, it means great, press on and, and keep going. And so, you know, I, I think uh, there's, there's a quote I use from Tom Isn, the basketball coach at Michigan State I love. He says, you know, today's society wants to skip the process. I hate that. Do the little things right to reach the big goals. Um, and so appreciating in the long run, if we want to learn successfully, we really have to focus on that process. Right. And I'm relieved you're not asking all of us to do that. <laughs> exactly. As a I don't do much math. Definitely not. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's talk about reflection. I, you know, this is a big lesson for me that I've had to learn over the past year. If I want to be my best, most creative self and a, and a fantastic problem solver and learn new things, that I need to slow down once in a while, go take a walk, go do something else, give myself and my brain the space. Yeah, absolutely. And and so I think that you know. We have this challenge that we we want to be always on. We want to be seen doing things um, that you know high achievers aren't sitting there pondering. High achievers are out in front, um, making it all happen. Um, and it's certainly true. There's plenty of stuff that needs done, uh, but. If we think at the most fundamental level, you know, learning takes place through uh, kind of this idea of we act, we do something, then we think about it, um, what went right, what went wrong, back to the process point, uh, and then we act again. And so we keep, you know, action, reflection, action, reflection. Uh, but as we get busier and busier, you know, it becomes kind of constant cycles of act, 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 right? Uh, we sometimes talk about, you know, that in order to move quickly, you know, we should take an approach of, you know, ready, five or aim, um, capturing very explicitly, great, do it before you know it 100%, um, but then afterwards, think about what happened. 
And instead of that ready, fire, aim, you know, I think for many to most of us, it becomes fire, 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 um, where we never course correct. Uh, and so, you know, we've done a number of studies looking at the impact of reflection. And in part, you know, much of my research is really me search of kind of questions that have bugged me, um, you know, some number of them from practice uh, that I want to understand. And reflection is one of those that I have to admit, I was always a little bit skeptical about reflection. And yeah, I mean, I know I need to think, but how much time do I really need to spend? Is it that important? Do I have to do it you know, that frequently? And you know, uh, we, we did a couple of different projects. We did some just simple lab studies where we asked, we taught people a new task. We then asked them to, you know, how did they want to spend their time? Did they want to keep practicing the task? It's a little math game. Um, or did they want to think? Did they want to reflect? 82% of folks chose to keep doing, um, 18% uh, reflected. Then afterwards, we had them do the game some more, and we found that the reflectors performed at a much higher level. And it turns out that's not surprising. So neuroscience research shows we activate different parts of the brain when we do versus when we think. And so if we want to learn kind of more effectively, we want to activate more of the brain, right? Both the doing and the thinking part. Um, we did another intervention with an organization where we took a six-week training program they had. We randomly assigned folks into two conditions, kind of a reflection condition and, uh, and just a control condition. And the reflection condition, all they did 15 minutes at the, each day, at the end of each day, uh, what are one or two things you learned about, uh, learned today? And they wrote out kind of what that was. And then, um, you know, we tracked them to the end of this program. They took a test. That test qualified them for the job. They were provisional employees to that point. Followed them for the first month on the job. We found roughly that those that were in the reflection condition performed about 25% higher. Those uh, on the test, uh, those uh, same folks performed about 10% higher in their first month on the job. And so, in kind of a number of studies afterwards by us and by others, we see this again and again that you know we know more than we realize. But if we don't take the time to think about it, to close that loop, then that knowledge ends up getting lost, uh, and so the learning doesn't take place. Uh, and so. There's an element here for all of us of really kind of slowing down, uh, of taking some time, whether it's just, you know, thinking. We did some other research looking at folks' morning commutes, kind of their least uh, you know, fun part of the day, uh, and uh, encouraging them to think about what they had going on that day. Had some really nice um, implications both for their performance at work, uh, but also just for how they felt about their commute. They enjoyed it more. Um, so, you know, whether it's, you know, listening to, to you know, an interview like this, um, and thinking about the implications, whether it's thinking about your day and what's going on, what's important, um, is a way to kind of get a win-win, uh, be a little happier, be a little bit more productive. Um, and so as we think about going forward, you know, what this means, I got some great advice from a, a mentor, Dave Upton, uh, a number of years ago. As uh, we sat down, I was trying to fly through things with him uh, in order to uh, cover, you know, kind of 90 minutes of material in a 30-minute meeting. About 10 minutes in, he put, put an arm uh, on, uh, on me to, to stop me talking, and I, I looked at him, and he said, Brad, don't avoid thinking by being busy. And I think that's kind of the key takeaway you know, I'd encourage folks is as busy as we are, as much as we have going on, take that time to step back and think, um, and also take that time to step back and rest uh, that we can't, uh, can't always be on if we want to get things done. 
Ah, so true. One of the um, the parts of your book, uh, which is never stop learning, stay relevant, reinvent yourself and thrive, was the um, the concept of single loop learning versus double loop learning. I am. And I thought, oh, my gosh, he's talking about <laughs> me because I do that during the workday. I will create workarounds for so many different things, technical issues that I'm having instead of stopping, reflecting, and trying to do it the correct way, the double loop. Yeah, so uh, it's an idea that Chris Argyros, a great learning theorist, uh, was talking about you know many years ago now um, that is equally true today. It's basically, do you kind of deal with the symptoms or do you get to the root cause, right? Do you really understand you know what's happening? Um, and I think you know it, it is tied to busyness. You know, as you're saying, we all have so much to do. You know, we know that there's a problem with the equipment, and we probably need to go and diagnose it. Maybe even we need to get some new equipment, or you know, there's a 12-step workaround that we can kind of glue and spackle together uh, to at least get through the next you know 24 hours until it breaks on us again. And I think that what we see with effective learners. It's not that they're going to the root cause of every single item. In some ways, that would take us back to our academic uh, versus practice discussion from earlier. They don't have time to do that, right? Their job isn't to answer every single question to the 99.99999% detail, but rather they're able to prioritize. They're able to realize, okay, what what is truly important here? Um, and therefore, you know, on those elements, I am going to get deeper. I am going to make sure you know, that I'm taking that time to get down to the root cause. Um, a great tool to do that is one that comes out of uh, Toyota production system, the, the approach that Toyota uses to make cars. They call it the five whys approach. Really simple idea. Um, it's that when you have a problem, um, you simply ask why it occurred. And then when you get that first answer, you ask why that happened. And then you ask why that happened. And you keep going. And it's not that five is magically always going to be the answer, um, but rather, you know, this approach of asking why until you get down to the root cause. You know, incredibly powerful because what's interesting is if you actually take that little bit of a pause to do it, what you often find is addressing the underlying root cause may be kind of simpler and quicker than the workaround that you were doing. And almost assuredly, it's going to be simpler and a better approach than you know, once you add in the time of workaround after workaround after workaround. But again, it means we have to slow down a little bit to see that bigger picture. All right. I'm going to remember that next time my computer goes <laughs> down. Look for that double looping instead of uh, all the, the crazy workarounds. All right. Um, yeah, so absolutely. let's talk a little bit about um, employment. And you've done a, quite a bit of research uh, involving onboarding. How can, if, if, we're, if people are starting a new job, they're you know reinventing themselves, they've started a new position, what is the most successful way that you've seen that people um, you know can, on, can onboard? This is from the employee's perspective sure. in terms uh, so of- So I, mean, I think what's interesting is when we show up at work in a new job, we often think you know, that we need to act like everybody else. Uh, and you know, that you know, there's kind of an implicit contract of, okay, what are the rules of engagement here? How do I make sure that I don't stick out like a source uh, and, you know, the challenge that we see is that actually really limits our own individual learning, and it tends to limit the contribution that we can bring to the organization. Uh, there's a great quote uh, from uh, Steve Jobs where he said, uh, or I'll paraphrase, that uh, you know, I, I don't hire smart people to tell them what to do. I hire smart people to tell me what to do. Um, and so I think what that's getting at is this appreciation that when we step into a, into a new role, we have to certainly learn the rules of the game. We want to know how things work at this company. Uh, but 
but we also want to kind of express ourselves, be, be our own individual self, um, so we can bring that to work. I mentioned we've done some research. Uh, we looked at uh, with an Indian software company um, doing, uh, we did a field experiment with them uh, where we took folks and we put them into some different conditions um, that we had a control that just got the same thing as always. Uh, and then we did a one hour treatment where first day, one hour they came in, we told them about how they could be an individual at work. We had folks come in who are star performers and talk about this. They did a little exercise. They introduced themselves and they got a sweatshirt, fully sweatshirt with their name on it. Uh, we had another group to make sure it wasn't just giving the free stuff. It was all about the organization, how the company was great, which it was considered one of the best hires in, in, uh, in India, uh, and they also got the fleece sweatshirt, but with the company name. We tracked them for six months, uh, and we found uh, that a little over six months that uh, those who were in the individual condition, not only were they more likely to stay, um, but they were also um, far more likely uh, to uh, their performance was higher. And so there were both organizational and individual benefits. So I think kind of this point of when you come into a new organization, think about how you can express yourself. The cautionary note I would certainly give um, is there's some neat work around uh, kind of optimal distinctiveness that goes by. Uh, and what it says is, hey, be yourself but don't push it too far, right? The reason you need to know the rules of the game um, is, you know, that gives you some idea that people really do value uniqueness, uh, but if it goes too far, then kind of the system can reject it. And so you certainly want to be careful uh, that you don't go in and you're not overconfident. You're not, well, let me tell you about how I did it at my other firm because that was clearly the best way. Uh, so you're respectful, uh, but at the same time, <laughs> you know, you're not you know, kind of uh, hiding yourself uh, so you're unwilling to, uh, to engage. And from the employer's perspective, what can they do to help their employees be lifelong learners? I mean, obviously, some of them yep. offer training that the employees can either <clears throat> take or not take. But what, yeah, what I mean, else can I, they do? I think do? a lot of it comes in signaling the importance of learning. Um, that uh, you know that comes in a couple of ways. I mean, one is just overall: do you give folks time to do it? Or you know, unfortunately, I've seen some that have great programs, uh, but if anybody asks for permission to do something, you know, it's denied. Uh, or, yeah, that's a great idea, but, but not right now. We're too busy. And that's kind of always, we're too busy, we're too busy. Uh, I think the other things that organizations can do, particularly organizational leaders, is thinking about modeling um, those behaviors that you want people to, uh, to be following. And so failure is a great example of this. You know, how do you approach when someone you know, had uh, you know, the right idea, um, they're moving down a path that we think is productive, and it didn't work out, not because they were lazy or they didn't try, but just you know, it didn't work out. Sometimes we try new things and we're wrong. What I see is that leaders and organizations that truly have a learning culture, you know, first, they're willing to be open about their own struggles. Um, that makes it okay for other people to be open to have discussions around this. They make it safe for people to share what's going on. Uh, so it's not that, uh, you know, you have to sweep everything under the rug, uh, but rather, uh, you, know, it's, uh, you know, it's known that, hey, part of new things is they don't always work. Um, and, you know, some will go so far as to, to celebrate failure. And again, it's not, you know, we go out, you know, we intentionally want this to go wrong, so we sabotage it. Um, but rather, if we're truly being innovative, you know, and I, would, I would argue I've yet to see the firm um, that is truly innovative that's successful 100% of the time. If, if, if you're successful every single time, it means you're simply not pushing far enough. And so I think organizations uh, and leaders in organizations really need to model those kinds of behaviors we want to see.
Absolutely. And authenticity is so important because, I mean, I have worked at places where they say, uh, for instance, uh, you know, at, at, a, at a broadcast station where they say, oh, ratings don't matter. Ratings don't matter. We're being innovative. But then the ratings come out and they're not <laughs> great. And then there's there are issues yep. and problems and, and yep. people getting very uptight. So you have to be authentic uh, in that when you're communicating with employees or they're not going to buy into yeah, it. Yeah, it's authentic and consistent, right? I mean, so I, I've seen that recently with, you know, organization that was undergoing kind of a bigger change, um, was very open, uh, meant to be inclusive, recognizing how hard this was. And you know, things are actually trending in the right direction, but more slowly than anyone wanted. And so the numbers, you know, survival wasn't an issue, but it just, you know, hitting the numbers, the, the higher level bosses wanted to see weren't there. And so kind of leader began to, you know, kind of pull things in, become more autocratic, not include the team. And, you know, folks see that, right? They, you know, if you're saying one thing, but doing another, um, Folks are going to respond to what's being done. Uh, talk is cheap. Right, right. Let's talk a little bit about uh, how you, I ask all my guests this, how you manage to stay creative. Obviously, you're a busy professor. I know you're a family yep. man and you have, you know, probably many other things you're involved in. What do you do to kind of replenish yourself and stay creative? <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, I think there are a few things that I found work well for me. I mean, one is to try to surround myself with folks who are more talented than me. Um, I love kind of back to that learning from others piece. Um, you know, working with others. The the book writing process. You know, probably the the worst part of it was that it was a sole author book, and most of my research uh, is with other people. Now, the the book is drawing on lots of others, and and even if I wrote it myself, I still you know kind of lots of interactions as I talked about things, whether it was editors, co-authors, friends. You know, my wife is. Uh, uh, very kind to, to put up with me uh, and all of the back and forth. And so that that engagement, I'm an introvert, so I'm not somebody who, you know, kind of uh, will go out and, and kind of interact and get energy from, from random folks so much. Uh, but, you know, folks I know, folks um, kind of I find thoughtful are a great way to spark and, and push me, uh, kind of always looking for people who care enough about me to uh, kind of call me out when they see that I'm wrong uh, and uh, and help me then kind of sharpen the ideas. Um, I think the second is around the reflection and recharging. Um, back to your point, we are all busy. I try with some failure to not, you know, claim that I'm busy when I talk to other people because I know everyone is busy. Um, it's just a matter of degree. Uh, but, you know, how do I make sure to take vacation? How do I make sure to take some time to think? Um, taking the right kind of vacation. I feel like, you know, my wife and I have many years of marriage. Like, you know, one of our great accomplishments is figuring out how do we both vacation in a way that recharges us, recharges the family, um, and kind of sets us up for success. Um, how do I find some small windows to reflect? Um, that, you know, I will find the schedule gets a little bit too full and then I have to start to dial it back uh, because those windows, you know, kind of are disappearing. Um, the other thing is being very conscious about learning goals um, of, you know, what are the new things that I'm picking up? Like there's there's lots I can do that's in my wheelhouse. It's very comfortable um, that I know will go well, but where am I stretching myself and trying to make sure some of those sorts of projects, whether it's research, whether it's teaching, whether it's consulting, um, are showing up. And so I think, you know, um, each of those strategies may work for folks uh, listening. Um, at the same time, I think part of creativity is this gradual process of getting to know oneself. Um, 
you know, the, the last thing I'd, I'd add um, is you know, the importance in all of this of intellectual humility. Uh, that uh, you know, one of the things I've certainly come to appreciate um, is you know, the more I learn, while I know that I individually probably know more than I've ever known before when it comes to learning, I also appreciate um, how much is out there that I don't grasp. And so I learn a little, um, and I see how much more there is. Uh, you know, so as a percent, my learning feels like it's lower than it's ever before, uh, just because you know, kind of the world is so much bigger. Uh, but I find that really actually kind of in, invigorating um, and a little bit freeing uh, because you know, I, can, I can be creative and have some you know, dumb ideas and some things that don't work uh, because there's so much we don't understand. And so this is really an exploration process. It's interesting you say that getting to know yourself is probably the key to how you are going to be most creative, just because I, I, I've heard that there are you know two kinds of people, people who get energy from being with other people and people who are drained of yep. energy by being with other people. And I, I tend myself to be an extroverted introvert and that for my job, I'm very extroverted. But when I choose to replenish myself, I like to spend time alone. Uh, I like to spend time usually alone hiking or just hiking with my mm -hmm. husband and that that's kind of what replenishes me. So you do have to get to know, uh, you know, kind of yourself and, and what's going to, re, you know, recharge your batteries. Yeah, exactly. And and I think appreciating that, and it's one of the reasons I love Susan Cain's book, Quiet, so much, uh, is I think you know, she did a great job of really pulling introverts out there and making it okay to see, to your point, of the mix that we all are, um, that their number are kind of in that similar camp, that I can, uh, to certain folks, they can't believe I'm an introverted because they see me in the teaching mode and and that kind of interaction where I can, you know, once it can be very outgoing, but then to your point, it's pulling back and recharging. Um, and so whatever the combination is and whether it's on that dimension or some of the other ones, um, it's one of the great things about getting older. Uh, there are many disadvantages, uh, but uh, getting a better understanding of yourself, right, and being more comfortable with yourself, I think really sets you up for uh, success in a lot of ways, one of which is uh, creativity. And reinvention. Absolutely. Excellent. All right. Thank you so much, Brad Stotts, for your time. We appreciate it. We look forward to, uh, I've read the book, and I, I would encourage all of our, our listeners to do the same. Lots of fantastic information there that wasn't covered today, but uh, we got a good taste of it. So thank you again. Perfect. Yeah, no, thanks for the opportunity. It's great talking to Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Brad Stotts. You can find him all over social media. He has an email at the University of North Carolina and a personal website. His book, Never Stop Learning, Stay Relevant, Reinvent Yourself, and Thrive, is available wherever books are sold. Brad Stott, it's S-T-A-A-T-S. And if you pop over to his website, there are a bunch of other great articles on the topic of learning. If you want to get really wonky, you can check out some of his research as well. Now, as we were chatting, I wrote down a book that Brad mentioned by Susan Cain called Quiet. It's a book about the power of introverts. And I would say this is something we could all explore more about ourselves. Do you know if you're an introvert or an extrovert? As Cain explains, introversion is different from being shy. It's not shy. Shy is fear of social judgment. Introversion is how you respond to outside stimuli. Do you get energy and vitality by being around lots of other people or do you recharge best alone? 
A third of people are introverts. So whether you are one or you are raising one or you are married to one, understanding the difference between shy and introverted will help you as you explore your own learning style and put some of the skills that Brad Stotts talked about to use. All right, before I go, I want to tell you quickly about New Age Designs, web design development with purpose, ambition, and analytics. If you need digital marketing, you need design, SEO, SEM, Google Analytics, they can do that. They'll get you all set up with web hosting, and they know all the key technologies. New Age Design staff has spent decades managing various UX and WebEx marketing programs for large corporations, giving them the opportunity to work with some of the most talented digital agencies in the world. They can certainly help you. Check them out at newagedesigns.com. When you reach out, you can use the code FRESHAGENDA. They'll take great care of you. By the way, you can always find my sponsors on my website as well, christinamendanza.com. That's Christina with no H, Mendonca with no Z.com. Check me out there and come over and, and drop me a line. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you think about the podcast. Uh, and uh, if you have any suggestions for future guests, I'll take those as well. And I really look forward to this spot with you on this little tiny island in the digital universe every week. So thanks for being here and we'll talk to you next time. This is a fresh agenda, bringing your productivity and creativity together to generate your deepest work.